Tell me a bit about the Wendy's Twitter account. Yeah, so so we hired copywriters, we hired comedians ultimately, and and we hired people that sound like this personality. We went back to our position. You know, this is a brand that in 1984 established. Where's the beef that we're going to call out competitors? That we're going to clap back in the terms of the 80s? What that was? We were able to actually get coverage in Wall Street Journal and Forbes and other places because of our digital social activities that validated, hey, this is real. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi everyone, we are so excited to have our next guest with the podcast today, Brandon Rotten. He's the former CMO of Potbelly, and before that, he was the CMO of Papa John's. And he is best known for architecting Wendy's powerhouse social strategy. Really excited to drive more into your track record of building impossible to ignore brands. Brandon is also a proud father of three, an avid doors man, and happily married to his amazing, strong, cancer-surviving high school sweetheart, Lauren. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's get started with these times, right? In the chat before the show, you mentioned how truly difficult this time is for small and medium-sized QSRs and just business in general. Do you have any advice for someone who is working or owning a small business or a QSR? Yeah, if you uh, if you rely on foot traffic, especially in an urban environment, this has been a really, really tough uh, almost a year now. And uh, you know, I think the the folks that are successful have been agile, have adapted, have moved to off-premise, have moved to performance-based marketing, have moved to a model where they're uh, they're offering shifts uh, with the the changing needs. So, um, you know, we have found some success in in being agile and in changing our offering and changing our marketing and changing our approach to the market. You know, most people in their career can't say they get to lift a business by forty or fifty points over the course of a few months. So we should take that as a badge of honor that we got to, to work through this process and, and start to bring back the business. Obviously, until foot traffic returns for a lot of folks, it's going to be tough. So, you know, I'm feeling the same pain everybody else is feeling and, and very proud of the work my team is able to do to help, uh, to help recover. How long do you think recovery is going to take? You know, the vaccine's on the, on the horizon, thank God. So, so a lot of folks will be uh, hopefully being able to get back to, to I think there's a bunch of pent up demand right now. I know I'm not going to eat at home for probably a year as soon as I feel like my family is safe. We're going to go on a vacation as soon as we can. So I do think there's a lot of pent up demand for people being in the world, being around their family and friends and, and getting back into the world. So I do think the recovery will be faster than many are predicting uh, once everyone feels safe, but they have to feel safe first. So the vaccine's got to be in play and people have to feel like they, they can begin to return to normal. There are going to be some things that stick around, though. You know, a lot of people have ordered online things that they never thought they'd order online. And, and it worked okay. Um, now, mind you, you order that, that fried food. French fries don't taste as good delivered as they do sitting at the restaurant. But it's okay. So I, I think there are some industries that are going to experience long-term disruption here. I can imagine movies, for example. I, I love getting first-run movies at home. I think that's awesome. But I don't love getting fries at home. That's not as awesome. So, so you're going to have to balance that, uh, this, this pent-up demand with what's going to be realistic for people to say that I'm actually good with doing this at home. I think, I think speak for yourself. 
I really like when fries <laughs> get a little like soft and they're not like as crispy and they're a little cold. I like my coffee a little cold, so it's like oh. I know, I know, it's weird. I always when I get coffee at the restaurant, I don't drink it for half an hour because I like it. Yeah. So for me, this is like heaven. It's like it gets to my place at the perfect time when like it's a little bit lukewarm. <laughs> Same with fries, yeah. actually. They're a little bit soft. I'm not sure the consumer data actually suggests that your soggy fries and your cold coffee are the ideal scenario. But you know what? For you, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, let's move on uh, to kind of understanding. For those of you listening and hearing, uh, I have Mick with me also on the show, and he's going to help me uh, interview Brandon as well. And he's been on some of our shows with us. Many of you have heard him before. Thinking back, you've had a history of coming into these kind of brands like Wendy's, Papa John's, Potbelly. They had maybe a few years of hard times. What kind of experiences earlier in your career made you the person who is good at handling the situations and like these like kind of turnaround roles? I like being an agent of change. It doesn't have to be dramatic change that shifts the whole organization, but I, I like breaking new ground. I like guiding processes in sort of new spaces. And I think the common denominator really across most of the industries that I've been asked to, or, or companies I've been asked to, to help has really been, um, they want change. They want to see a modernization typically of their marketing program. And that doesn't always mean that you go social digital. It doesn't always mean, you know, maybe it means a new menu, maybe it means whatever. But I think the common denominator is usually an organization that's looking at someone like me is looking for change. If someone is just looking for the steady state where it's a maintenance position, that's less exciting to me. Uh, it doesn't mean I have to change jobs every two or three years. It doesn't mean I have to you know, break things in an organization, but it does mean that I'm breaking new ground in an organization and helping an organization sort of adapt to the 21st century. So yeah, I think that's the common denominator. What do you think got you to like that those kind of roles? You know, was that like an early something early in your career? Did you do it and loved it and decide this is going to be me? Was it that you just kind of got thrown into it? Yeah, I mean, I think it, my agency days, and I worked for a B two B, a big B two B agency, and my agency days, a lot of what that agency did was uh, take brands that were in very commoditized spaces and help break them out. And, and that usually required significant change for that organization. Typically, they would need to consider new forms of media, new forms of messaging. And I loved that. I loved seeing a brand in a space where everybody sort of looks the same, actually be able to step up and step out and become differentiated based on you know, some unique aspect of that brand. So I think it was actually my agency days that sort of put that in me, that said, this is, this is interesting and important. The only flaw to it, though, is it's a bit dangerous, right? You know, it's a much more stable life to be at a company that's in a maintenance mode or be at a company that's interested in maintenance is really its only uh, way forward. So that means that sometimes I come in and I try to change something and it turns out what was intended to be changed isn't the thing that actually needs to change. So I have to undo that and, and go a different path. Sometimes it means that I do a lot of education before I can make a change. Sometimes that means that I'm not a fit eventually for the organization because the change is so dramatic that I'm not needed anymore because once the change is in place, I'm, I'm good to move on. But you kind of have to accept that stuff if, if you're really looking to break new ground. Once in a while, you hit a gas pipe, right, when you're digging. And uh, once in a while, you strike gold. And if your intentions are good and the research is good and, and everyone's aligned on your objectives, usually it's pretty awesome. 
So one example of that is kind of your experience at Wendy's with social media and fighting to get leadership to believe in the power of social media. Tell us a bit about that story. How did it happen? Set the scene for us. And how did you change our minds after? Usually the, what a, an organization does is it decides it, it needs something. It brings in the change agent to try to create that change. And then it actually has to decide as an organization to make the change, right? It has to commit. It's sort of like when you buy a treadmill. You buy it with good intentions. Whether it becomes something you hang your clothes on or you use every day, that's more of a commitment. And that's what the organization has to do is commit to that thing. So, you know, they bought the treadmill, they hired me in order to, uh, and, and others, and many others in the organization, in order to enact change in an organization that had for a long time been in pretty rough shape, uh, about a decade. And then I had to make the case internally for a shift in spend from, you know, very traditional marketing to more social, digital, modern marketing, performance marketing. I had to make the case that we needed to hire people and, and even a different external you know, agency and partner to, to enact the change that needed to happen to convert our, our marketing over to a more modern approach. And, and usually the way that works best, I found anyways, is, is through inc incremental steps. You know, people don't like a lot of change at once, but they're comfortable with a little bit of change over time. So that go back to that treadmill example. If you all of a sudden run flat out two miles every day, you're probably going to kill yourself. But if instead you say, I'm going to start rot walking and jogging and then move to a quarter mile and a half mile and a full mile, you can actually work your way up to that point where you're, you're at a full sprint for a couple of miles. And that's sort of what I had to do. So at Wendy's and, and at other organizations that I've been a part of, generally what you have to do is, is do your homework to say this is a good thing to do. Get everyone to commit to starting some smaller scale efforts that then you can see the results from adjust as you understand those results and, and translate them to the business in a, in a real way. And, and then you, you add up those changes over time. At Wendy's, for example, I, I started with no money and no team. I had to make the case for the, the budget. I had to make the case for the team. And then I started a few folks. And then I was able to bring in an agency. And then I was able to actually take over all media and all creative when I made the case that this is actually broader than just a digital social play. I had to affect position of the brand. We launched a new logo over there. I mean, it, the changes became very holistic, but it added up over time. You know, it, I was there for almost six years, and every year I saw pretty significant change in the organization. And I look at it now, you know, I've been gone, you know, three years, three and a half ish, you know, since the middle of 2017. So, you know, almost four years now. And I look back, and the, the organization is totally different than it was the day I started, but it's actually different than the day I left. And it's all good change. And I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud to be able to stack up those changes and, and ultimately see that there's a net benefit to the brand. And not everything we tried worked, by the way. That's part of the reason you increment the change, because you're going to find things that just don't work. And then you're going to have to readjust and have a, an organization that understands that we're going to have a lot of little failures that get us to our objective, just sort of how it played out. Uh, just to hop in, Brandon, I know you've told this story on other other platforms, but this moment where... Wendy's leadership kind of figures it out and you're the one who shows it to them literally would love to hear like that moment. And what is that moment today too for brands? Yeah. So we had a really real, real world moment. You said you mentioned it. I've, I've shared it before where the brand was going through a bit of a PR issue. This is early in my, my time there where uh, pink slime was something Jamie Oliver came out and talked about. This was this terrible thing that fast food companies were doing with with meat. 
And, um, and the question was, did Wendy's use pink slime? I was actually pulled into a conference room where a bunch of executives were sitting around, including the CEO and, and asking the question, is this something we should respond to? And in the meeting in my youth and stupidity, I pulled up the screen behind me and Googled, you know, does Wendy's use pink slime? Someone asked the question, does Wendy's use pink slime? And there were hundreds of replies and they're all over the place. Yes, they do. No, I don't think they do. I'm not sure they do. Can you do that with fresh meat or not? Uh, do they really use fresh meat or is that a lie? You know, all over the place on this page. And I asked the question in the room, you know, you know, do we actually uh, use pink slime? I don't think we do, but do we? And the, the person who ran culinary uh, was in the room said, no, we didn't. Uh, we, we use fresh meat. We never have used pink slime and, and we wouldn't use pink slime. We never will. And I, I said, okay, I'm Okay. And I just started typing a response and I said, you know, never have, never will Brandon, director of digital at Wendy's. And I hit enter. And while I was sitting there, it was upvoted or whatever the equivalent of that is in Yahoo Answers to the top of the page. And the news actually used it as one of our, as our response. So, you know, major news outlets were, as they're reporting on Pink Slime, said, you know, brands are starting to weigh in. And Wendy's, Brandon, the director of digital said, never have, never will for Pink Slime. And that was a big moment in the organization where people actually recognize well, this is real. People are paying attention to this stuff. It makes a difference in how we use these platforms and how we communicate as a brand. And we had dozens of examples like that that followed where franchisees kids would raise up as, you know, the reason that they think our marketing is working is their kids are talking about the brand. And we had examples where, you know, we were able to actually get coverage in Wall Street Journal and Forbes and other places because of our digital social activities that validated, hey, this is real. So yeah, it was an interesting example in, in the real world where we would actually demonstrate people are paying attention to these platforms and we need to have a strong presence there. Transitioning a little bit from your time at Wendy's to, I guess, this idea of being an agent of change going to your next role as CMO of Papa John's. Can you talk about how that opportunity came up and you know what you were excited about? Yeah, so um, you know, I was at... Wendy's for a while and, and decided that maybe I want to uh, try uh, biting off more than, than what I was doing at, at Wendy's and take on a, a CMO role. Uh, I had a bunch of companies pursuing me. Papa John's was one of them and decided to take the role primarily because um, I love these commoditized spaces where you can break out. And if pizza isn't commoditized, I don't know what is. You know, this is just an industry that is very, especially the big brands, are very commoditized. It's the only space where half of the players are independents and the other half are these major chains. And Papa John's was this interesting spot where the vast majority of its sales were happening through its web and its app. Um, but their marketing activity didn't, didn't look like that. Their marketing activity was very traditional, running heavy, heavy TV, heavy sponsorships. There really wasn't a significant digital social performance layer in the, in the plan at all. And I saw that externally. And, and, you know, as I used Domino's a lot as an, an example at Wendy's of a brand that is embracing digital, embracing uh, sort of modern marketing and, and modern approaches to the business, Papa John's always came up as the example of the people who could benefit most from that sort of thing. So when they reached out, I thought to myself, you know, take this brick and mortar, make them heavy into e-commerce and you're going to see wonderful things happen. So they hired me on to do that and also to work on the position of the brand. Um, I joined and ultimately was able to do a lot of the digital infrastructure stuff. Um, and then uh, as I started to work on position, it became clear that the brand needed to, to change a bunch before I could do that culturally and, and from a you know, sort of internal perspective. So 
I wasn't there long. I was only there about a year. But in that time, um, I'm very proud to say the team changed a lot to create the digital infrastructure, the e-commerce infrastructure, performance marketing infrastructure that I, I think is helping them today. They've made a ton of changes since I left, obviously, so I can't take any credit for the amazing results they've had recently. But that that mentality shift of, hey, you know, we're, we can actually be a digital player, I think, is is really important for a lot of brands, especially those that are, are really struggling to, uh, to, to move into the world of, of 2020 and what that means from an e-commerce standpoint. Super interesting. And I think you're, so one of the things you were talking earlier is that you had some things that worked, some things that didn't. Do you have some examples, and it can be from Wendy's, Papa John's, Potbelly, up to you, but some examples of campaigns that you've done that worked really well that you're proud of? Yeah, I mean, we had dozens of your run you know we had a, a great line of uh of work there that that was lauded by everything from you know lions and cleos and all kinds of of trophies uh that were awesome uh, but I'll, I'll pick on a couple uh at sort of each stop that i thought were really cool we did a campaign at wendy's that was one of our first big digital campaigns that resulted in a three-year cadence of the same campaign and uh you know we ran a new product called the pretzel bacon cheeseburger and when that came out in the test market we had folks in the local market actually talk about it in a way we've never heard them talk about a sandwich. You know, one guy actually came on and, and tagged his parents in a tweet saying, this is my new significant other. You know, he, was, he wanted to marry the sandwich, essentially. And that led us to a program where we used celebrities like Nick Lachey and, and others to, to actually sing love songs to this cheeseburger using the real social comments that people made about the product. So it was called Pretzel Love Songs, and we ran it actually for, for three years in a row because we, we kept pulling the product back into market and ended. The last version actually used Boys to Men to sing to you know, the, the cheeseburger with these honest-to-God social posts that people were using about this product. That was just one of those ones that was you know, amazing. And in fact, when, they, when the CEO of, of Potbelly hired me here, he said, one of the reasons I'm hiring is you because is because you sang a, a love song to a cheeseburger. And you, you know you love food when you build a whole campaign around that. Uh, so that was awesome. At Papa John's, we uh, actually announced our relationship with our agency through Twitter. And, you know, normally you put out a big press release and you have this big, but we just, we went back and forth with them on Twitter. And that's how we announced the agency relationship that actually got coverage in and of itself. And I think that illustrated for me, at least, that you don't need to have a huge, you know, multi-year campaign to get attention to your brand. You just got to do something people don't really don't do in a way that's interesting. We had a, you know, a bunch of other campaigns there that were very successful. We ended up working with a lot of celebrities there like uh, Peyton Manning and J.J. Watt and, and, and a lot of others. We did a whole like ode to football and how awesome football is. We brought Peyton Manning to the Wilson factory where he just talked about the work that goes into actually making a football game happen, uh, which was really, really cool. It was a great series of ads we ran. Um, here at, at Potbelly, we did a bunch of cool stuff, especially early on before we got into some of the more experiential menu and, and other work that needed to happen behind the scenes. But one really cool example we did during COVID was um, – Right at the start of it, we uh, we found that you know our position is essentially we're 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 a place you should go uh, to lift your mood, good vibes. Our, our saying here is kind of good vibes, great sandwiches, and um, so we want to make sure you leave the place feeling happier than when you started. You know, you want to impart those good vibes on on folks. And one of the real constraints around good vibes at the beginning of the pandemic, especially the first few months, was you had no alone time. 
you could not be by yourself. You know, you were always at home with family or, or whatever. You just, you had no chance to just uh, a moment of peace for the typical customer that we have and the white collar customer who's got a family and all that. So we did a thing where we put signs in the parking lots called alone time parking, where you could park. We're going to bring your food out to you. You're not allowed to have a conference call. You're not allowed to have kids or pets in the car. It has to be completely silent. You eat in silence in your car. It's so cool. I love it. And it was called alone time parking. And it went over great because people were very interested in the idea of taking that break, you know? So I think all of these campaigns and all the, the work that my, my team's done that I'm very proud of, they're all based on you come up with an insight that's true to your position as a brand. You play with that in a way that nobody's done it before. And nine times out of 10, what ends up happening is uh, you get a lot of attention for something that is just a clever idea based on that position. I love it. I mean, talk about like finding an insight and making something cool out of it. Tell me a bit about the Wendy's Twitter account. It's a little interesting. Like, I think, like, how how did it get that way? Like, there's the question of, like, I feel like a lot of brands would be scared to take that much, like, creative <laughs> to allow someone who manages their Twitter account to be so creative. Let's put it that way. You got to first understand your problem as a brand, right? I don't care what you what you do as a marketer. You don't just go into tactics. You have to understand the problem. We spent we spent time up front analyzing our issue and our, our issue along age lines. If you were over 35 or 40, you really needed to understand that we were a difference as far as quality goes as a brand to differentiate. If you were under 35 or 40, the real issue was we were not cool. We were this stodgy old brand that your parents went to to get their chili and their cup of water. We were not a cool brand. And the cool brands at the time were Five Guys and Shake Shack and other, other kind of up-and-comers, right? So splitting those out, Fresh Never Frozen Beef and that messaging really went to the, the over 40 crowd. And that's where we went heavy on TV and other places where, where they spent more of their time at the time. The under, the under 35, under 40 crowd, it was, well, how do we differentiate and not be such a nerd in the process? And I don't mean nerd like in a common sense, you know, a new sense of like tech savvy. I mean, like just not cool. So we went back to our position. You know, this is a brand that in 1984 established, where's the beef? established that we're going to call out competitors, that we're going to clap back in the terms of the 80s, what that was, that we're going to be aggressive. Dave Thomas on TV for 20 plus years was like that. He would say, I don't understand where you're going anywhere else. You need to come here. And this is why. So if you go back to the DNA of this brand, it is a challenger brand through and through. That's its purpose. That's why it was invented. So we said, well, what is the modern incarnation of a challenger brand that did that behaved like this even as far back as the 80s in 2011, 2012 at the time. And essentially what we found was, well, people are spending their time, people, younger people were spending their time on social platforms. A challenger brand could look like this in that social platform. It could be this brand that actually calls out others, that actually pushes on boundaries, that actually you know, has a personality that feels snarky, that feels uh, modern, that feels connected. And we developed a personality, and then we went out, and I actually hired the people that sounded like that already. So the first person I hired was a woman named Amy, and she already she was a copywriter from Columbus, Ohio, that already sounded like that. She sounded like Wendy. I mean, it's just really funny. I have some tweets in front of me for like our audience. Someone tweets, you all should give up. McDonald's got you guys beat with the, this dope-ass breakfast. Wendy's reply. You don't have to bring him into this just because you forgot refrigerators existed for a second there. <laughs> they're, we, just, they're just all like hilarious. 
Yeah. So, so we hired copywriters, we hired comedians ultimately and, and a digital agency that hired a comedian that, and, and a team of people. And we hired people that sound like this personality. And then we just let them do their thing. Now we created rules. So when they were going to say something that they thought might get them in trouble or was controversial, they had to text me and get permission or I could edit it if necessary. They had to text you. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So like I'd get a text at 10 o'clock at night saying, I'm thinking about saying this. Is that cool? And I'd say, yes, or, you know, you should change it to this. Um, or don't do that at all. So there were rules and there was a personality that was set, but we went out and found people who were good at this. I mean, the, the person doing it mostly now, uh, or at least recently, you know, he's a comedian that that's what he did was clapbacks. That was his thing. And he just does that for this brand. So I think, I think the way you build out a social presence is first you define your problem. Yeah. Then you isolate down to the platforms. You can solve the problem and the personality or, or, or positioning that helps solve that problem that's true to the brand. And then you actually build up infrastructure around it that lets you constantly beat on it. And I had a team in play for probably six months before anybody paid attention, probably a year before mainstream started to really pay attention. And then it, it just kind of snowballed because what ended up happening was these very talented people just acted like they act. They were just being themselves. You know, Amy this week had a tweet go viral that has nothing to do with anything. It's just her being in her. She's hilarious. And her personal Twitter feed is awesome. And that's what I think you got to find. A lot of people try to hire an agency and make, you know, make this artificial thing. Don't do that. You set the yeah, strategy. It's hard. You guys do it well. You set the strategy. And sometimes you don't need that, by the way. You notice Potbelly doesn't have a giant social media presence. It's not what it needs. It needs something else. You know, Papa John's needed e-commerce. Potbelly needed other things that were behind the scenes to, to make it work better for the future. You got to build the solution for the problem at hand, and uh, it was awesome. They're still doing awesome. I'm so proud of that team. I'm so proud of that work. When they go and, and collect more awards, I'm the guy cheering in the back, saying, "You know, thank you for continuing that because it is awesome." That's so cool. I love it. First of all, Brandon, I mean, how incredible is that? It's like you change the culture of the way the messaging works, and always an interest for me when you attribute you know, this kind of social fluency that I think is required to kind of pick these things out and like figure out what is the major problem this brand is dealing with? What is the personality that we need to be putting out there? Like how in your personal life do you stay sharp in terms of like your creativity and the way that you, you know, keep thinking forward about, you know, what could be the face of the brand? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, you hire really good people that they're really good at that. Most people's job at a higher level in an organization, especially in marketing, is to hire really good people and then set the stage for them. Because uh, while they may need guidance, they may need strategic direction, they may need kind of lanes to play in, I'm never going to tweet something as funny as Amy can tweet, you know, in a half moment or the, the, the folks that are tweeting right now for Wendy's. I, it's just it's not possible. So I do think you have to create the conditions for that success and hire really good people to do it. Having said that, I think you have to be a student of, of marketing. I think you have to love marketing and communications. I do a thing with my team, and, and I've, I've done it for years and years, where you know once a month we do what we call a great work session. And we just show off work that we see that moved us, that we thought was great. You have to constantly be consuming this stuff and love it, truly love it. And not just the Super Bowl ads. I'm talking like the day-to-day -day stuff that happens in the world that's compelling. There is so much garbage marketing out there, but there is so much good marketing and so many good communications, so many good storytellers. So I think you have to be a student of marketing 
and constantly look outside your own industry at things that are compelling and not just the things trending at the top three or four. You've got to love this stuff and live it and breathe it. It makes me excited when a competitor does something cool. It really does. And most people get mad because they're like, oh man, these guys did this awesome thing and it's going to hurt our business. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a negative. But the truth is every time someone does something really cool in marketing, it raises the bar just a little bit more. And that means everybody's got to get just a step better. And when I hear kind of the, the old school folks say, you know, there hasn't been a good ad since 1984 Apple during the Super Bowl. I'm like, you're joking me, man. You could, you could turn on any social channel today and find somebody who's telling a compelling story in a, from a brand's perspective. And that's super exciting. And because of digital social, especially in performance marketing, you don't have to be a, a giant to do it. You don't have to spend $200 million plus a year to actually you know, see change in the world. And you got to spend some money. So if you're not spending more than a few million bucks, it's tough. But when you get down to it, the level of change that can be enacted, even at a mid-sized to smaller level, is like it's never been before. Using partners like, like you guys, but partners all over the place that let you actually scale uh, in a meaningful way uh, with a targeted audience. And guess what? Not everybody's got to see your ad. Only the people that are actually going to buy your stuff need to see your ad. And that's very powerful. Very powerful. I, I'm just going to say that I love that idea and I'm I'm already like thinking of scheduling it for my marketing team like once a month. I, it's so cool. Thanks for sharing that. And it's just, a, it's literally just an hour. People share links and talk about them and say why they love them, what they think the position was, what they think the objective was. And you do have to get back to like, what was the goal? I do think, you know, there's art for art's sake, but truthfully, that's not marketing. You have to really have a commerce reason, an objective, a brand objective or a sales objective underneath it to make it a meaningful marketing communication. But you got to keep your eyes open. There's so much good stuff in the world. Is there something that comes to mind off the top of your head? I, I do follow you on Twitter and I see that you do retweet a lot. Is there something that really got to you in this period of time? Well, I mean, just this week, right? Um, and I can't even tell you the name of the company because it, it's not in English. But there's that ad about the older man who's constantly lifting a weight. And it turns out what he wanted to do was lift his daughter up or his granddaughter up and put a, you know, a, a, a or, or maybe, I don't know, whatever the relation was, put a, a star on top of the tree. It's just good storytelling. And if it's tied back to their objective, and I, I think it was like a fintech or a, an insurance company. Um, again, I don't speak the language, so I, I only saw the, the raw ad. I didn't actually see coverage of the ad yet. Good storytelling combined with a clean position, along with a business objective, and in their case, I'm sure it was rich, is awesome. I think if you're if you're uh, following, uh, you know, I used this example the other day, and somebody asked me a question. If you're following uh, brands on social platforms right now, what Sparknotes is doing on Twitter is awesome. What Stakem is doing on Twitter over the last year is awesome, and to see even like Adweek just did their yearly you know, best ad sort of effort. And it was Oreo against Steakum. Oreo against Steakum. The fact that a frozen meat product can be in the running with Oreo is awesome. That just illustrates the level of, of amazingness in today's marketing. I mean, because they were this fun, interesting, transparent, you know, presence in Twitter, it aligned with Oreo that talked about this huge campaign they ran. That's awesome. So yeah, there's tons of good stuff out there. You've had these awesome experiences, you know, turning around some of these brands and the way that they communicate 
with the people who love them or the people that they're trying to get to love them. What's next? You know, like, what are you thinking in terms of like the next challenge and what is exciting to you, especially in the current state of things? Yeah. So I love building campaigns. I love building brand voices. I love scaling. And I think that's probably what's next for me. Uh, The things I'm looking at right now really are around getting back to campaign work and bigger campaign work with some, some serious scale. I love modernizing programs, so I I very possibly will fall in kind of a similar situation what I've done up to this point. You know, my last few years, my last about three years with uh, just just shy of three years with Potbelly, and even my time with with Papa John's uh, really were about other elements of marketing primarily. I love having work that people talk about, and I love sending my creatives to France to pick up lions, and I love winning effies from my media team for the awesome work they did to compel a you know business result. So I, I think it's probably going to be in that vein. And, I, and I'm talking to a few folks that was from excited from some very exciting opportunities to do to do just that. So I think that's probably where I'm going to land. I think adding to the portfolio of great work out there is very compelling to me. I love it when people talk about my team's work. It makes me very excited. So I think that's what I'm going to do next, but I'm not exactly sure. So we're super grateful to have had you today. But before we end, we usually end with this lightning round that's a little bit silly and gets the audience to know you better. So if you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you could only keep one, what would you keep? Probably TikTok right now. And I wouldn't have said that even three months ago, just because you can fall down a hole in that app pretty fast. Uh, so probably TikTok. Number two might be LinkedIn, but but TikTok's probably number one right now. It's definitely a fuel for creativity, right? Seeing oh how creative God. people are is very, it definitely can definitely inspire. And I, I find it fascinating too, when, when apps are still, or, or social platforms are still in their infancy, organic really matters. You know, as they monetize that changes and big brands get involved in all that stuff. But it's, it's awesome to see that thing blooming. And I don't know what it's going to become. I don't know if it's going to be big. I don't know. It, it is big, but I don't know if it's going to be huge, you know, like, Facebook kind of huge, but uh, it is fascinating to watch TikTok uh, right now. I think it has the potential to be, I think it's very interesting. I've been doing a bunch of research into TikTok ads and I love that like, you know, to do a good ad, you can't just like do random ads, like the ads have to be part of the experience and to run TikTok ads, I think you really have to understand that be creative. I don't think anyone can just go and run a TikTok ad looking at their ad <laughs> which I think is great. I think in every platform, you really need to understand the platform, but on a new platform, it's hard to understand the it's platform, hard. right? They don't have teams built out. If you, I mean, Facebook is an awesome partner to work with for Instagram and Facebook, but their formula is pretty straightforward now yeah. Uh, yeah. because they've developed over years and years and years. So if you want scale, you go to Facebook. But if you want to be really creative and you want the potential for high organic reach, you got to play around all over the place. And TikTok is an interesting, interesting spot right now. I, I completely agree. If you had an app that enabled you to talk to an animal, what animal would you pick? Uh, probably a narwhal, just because I think they're the most fascinating. The, the, you know, the whale thing with the giant tusk. Yeah, yeah, I know what, yeah. And my kids are obsessed with narwhals, so I need to know what's going on there. And uh, we also did an ad with a narwhal uh, as a character wherever ago, and it was a hilarious ad. So definitely a narwhal, no question. Very original. I love that answer. And then lastly, what's an unexpected app that we could find on your phone that maybe people close to you would not be would be surprised? Some would probably have been surprised with TikTok, just in general. 
But I have a lot of financial apps on my phone. Uh, as a marketer, I think it's really important to actually be connected into the finance world and what's actually moving in finance. I think a lot of marketers focus on the art and the art is awesome. But the truth is, if you don't understand the context of the business decisions that have to be made, you can't make good decisions. So I spend a lot more time on the E-Trades and the CNBCs and the Fox businesses than I think a lot of my marketing counterpoints. I have a whole folder with probably 50 apps that just let me dig into what's going on when I'm trying to solve a problem. And I usually start from an analytical standpoint, and then I move my way to the art. Uh, so I think that would surprise people. I love that. I think that's pretty cool. Well, with that, I uh, know we're out of time. Super grateful for everything. It was very inspiring. I'm going to make a change tomorrow in the way we do things in our marketing team just because of this podcast. And I hope our listeners learned and got inspired as well. So thank you again for joining us today, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.